But hey, as you heard, we've been in a series that we've called Love Our City. Love Our City. And we're being intentional about this. We're not playing games with this, right? We want to do what the Word of God says. This series is all about how to love our neighbors. And we, we, we have to understand why this is important. It's because God loves people. And this happens through people. Let me say that again. God loves people. But this happens through people. Right? It happens through you and me. And so the context for this series has been the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what ended up happening before the introduction of this parable was Jesus had a conversation with a Jewish religious expert. This was a guy that everyone looked to as someone who had it all together. He looked the part. He talked the part. He acted the part, right? He was someone that people uh, looked up to, that they aspired to, to model after, right? This guy happened to know much about the Old Testament and all the things that it said. And so... One day, he comes across Jesus, and he asks Jesus this question. He says to him, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? How do I inherit eternal life? It's a question that we all wrestle with. How do I do this thing about relationship with God? How do I come to know God? How do I uh, live in this world while being part of a kingdom that's greater than this world? How do I do this? And Jesus responded to this man, the scripture tells us, by saying to him, you know the law. How do you interpret it? And this man responded actually quite wisely. Because most religious experts would respond with, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that. And this particular Jewish expert of the law responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus Responded to him, you've answered correctly. Then he says to him, go and do this. But this man deferred back to his wisdom and his pride. And he says to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? In other words, who am I supposed to love? And in his understanding, he's only supposed to love people that were from the Israelite nation. That was his fellow man. That's what the law called him to do. But Jesus pushed the envelope and showed him a different story. And so in week one, we learned that we can't love God and not love our neighbors. It is impossible to say, I love God and hate people. It is impossible to say, I love God and not care for someone else. It is impossible to love God and not even dare to step out of your comfort zone and see life from somebody else's point of view. It's impossible. Week two, we learned that we have to get over it. We have to get over our biases. You know why? Because we all have them. Come on. Come, come. How many of you know that's true? You can tell on yourself about three of you are telling the truth. The rest of you, we're praying for you. Today is the day of salvation, right? Listen, we all have biases, but we have to get past those biases because if not, they'll limit what God can do in our lives and through our lives. In week three, we learned that loving our neighbors requires sacrifice, There is no such thing as loving God and loving people without sacrifice. Now, you just heard that we announced today that our signups are up for our Love Our City campaign. And here's the reality. It's going to take sacrifice. You may have to take a day off. You may have to take half a day off. You may have to do something you may not necessarily like. But why is it important? Because it's about loving people. It's about loving people. 
And as Christians, we must understand this, that to love God and love people takes sacrifice. We're going to have to make some sacrifices. In week four, we learn that we cannot love our neighbors if we don't invite them into the house. That we have to come into their lives and we also have to draw them into our lives and what God is doing. And so today we're going to dive back into this parable and we're going to see what God has to speak to us. And I encourage you to simply consider the truth in God's word. I am not here to give you an opinion. You do not need to hear what I have to say. I'm just like you. And I dropped the ball just like you. But the scriptures contain much wisdom. So we're going to go back to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 30. And it says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. As I've stated the last couple of weeks, this is Jewish country. This is Israelite country. In other words, the people that belong in the stories are Jewish people. And so on this road, there was a man who was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away. And they left him half dead. Verse 31 says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Everybody say a priest. a priest. This person belongs in this story. This is an Israelite. And this priest is going down the same road. And when he sees this man, the Bible says that he passes by on the other side. How many of you know that's no good, right? It goes on to say, so too a Levite. Say it's Levite. A Levite. This also is a person who belongs in this story. This is a Jewish person, right? And a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. No good. But then verse 33 says, a Samaritan. Say this with me, a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan does not belong in this story. A Samaritan is a person who was not Jewish. They were of a mixed lineage. They had different worship practices. They believed in God in different ways. They disagreed with Jewish people, and they were sworn enemies with Jewish people, and Jewish people felt the same way about them. This person does not belong in the story. And as this Samaritan traveled, he came where the man was. But he did something different. When he saw him, he took pity on him. The word pity here is not a kind of, I feel sorry, let me give you a little handout kind of thing. This is actually, actually a deep love, a compassion that comes from deep within the soul. This is a godly love, and so he loved this man. Verse 34 says, and he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and he poured oil and wine upon his wounds, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an end, and he took care of him. He stayed with him. He, he, he made sure that this guy made it through the night, but watch what goes on to happen. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the, innkeeper, to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him. And when I return, you see, he wasn't in this for a touch-and-go situation. He was in this for touch-and-stay. I need to make sure that you're going to make it. I need to make sure that you live. I need to make sure that you get back up on your feet. And so he says, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus asked this Jewish religious leader, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And listen to what Jesus said to him and what Jesus says to us. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, the emphasis in this parable is undeniable. 
It expresses the heart of God the Father for people. And it reveals his intentions towards people. We see a couple of things here. We see that God sees us through eyes of compassion. We see that his care for people is for the sake of restoring them to new life. We see that he wants to heal our wounds. We see that he carries us on the road to our recovery. We see that he loves us sacrificially. But while Jesus was displaying the nature of God and the nurture that God wants to disseminate into all humanity, we cannot overlook this very important point. This parable clearly tells us that he wants to do it through people. Through people who may believe they don't qualify. Through people who don't belong in the story for whatever reason, for whatever past, for whatever hangups, for whatever mistakes, for whatever things they may struggle with, for whatever things they may think and believe. And what I would say to you is that what we see here is that God the Father loves people through people like you and me. Because you see, we're all the Samaritan. We didn't belong in the story. We didn't deserve to be there. And yet God says, I choose you. The Bible says that he chooses the base things. Some versions render it this way. He chooses the foolish things. What it's really talking about is the base, the, the most basic things to confound the wise. That means you qualify, friend. Go ahead and give God praise and thank him for loving you and choosing you. But for the purposes of today, I want to specifically home in on a neighbor. A neighbor among us that is commonly overlooked and needs love to rise to his fullest potential. A neighbor that many people call father. You know, many of society's ills are attributed by different people and different entities to the absence of fathers, to the mistakes of fathers. And there are many that make attempts to explore the understanding as to why this is going on. And listen, there is nothing wrong with attempting to understand why, but I believe it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question because the question that we must all address is, who will love fathers and who will help them on the road to health to healing, and to wholeness. Let me show you what I mean. Just, just to give you some, some statistics, some facts on fathers. Involved dads improve their children's overall emotional and social well-being. That is proven beyond a fact. Involved dads help reduce stress in the home. How many moms can say amen? amen. Right? It's true. Dads, amen. Right? We, we do that. Dads that are actively involved in their child's educa educational progress have children that are more likely to excel academically. Dads involved during pregnancy positively influence health outcomes for moms and their babies. This is statistically proven. Daughters are less likely to engage in risky sexual behavior when they have consistent contact and a sense of closeness with their dads. Boys with absent fathers are more likely to become absent fathers themselves. One in four children live in a home today in this country without a dad. 
92% of parents in prison are fathers. Children raised in a father-absent home are two times more likely to suffer from obesity. Children raised in a female-headed home without a man's presence have a poverty rate of 47.6%, which is over four times the rate of children living in a married coupled families. What does this tell us, friends? Here's what it tells us. It tells us that fathers matter. And it also tells us that fathers need support. Fathers need a good Samaritan. Fathers need a good Samaritan. Let me just put it to you like this as a father. We need help. Just like anyone else, we need help. And so today I want to talk to you on a topic directly born from the, the father's heart. We're going to see this in scripture, but I want, to, I want to talk to you today on helping fathers heal and be whole. Helping fathers heal and be whole. You see, a couple of weeks ago I had a chance to get together with a, with a bunch of guys and we were breaking bread and sharing some time together and talking. And, and, and I have the opportunity to also be involved in some things that support pastors and different ministries. And so there's times when I'm traveling. There's times when I'm doing other things during the week that take me to other places. And, and I constantly find myself around men, and I continue to hear this same story in different ways. We need help. We need help. I was in a room full of men, and these men, by, for all intents and purposes, if you looked at them and you heard them at a surface level, they appeared strong, successful, courageous, faithful, and that they were. But as we dug in and we got real and we got raw, it became evident that these same heroes, these same leaders in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces are also hurting. They have needs, and they lack support. And guess what? Let me give you a dose of truth. We don't have it all figured out. We don't. We don't. We need help. We need help. See, fathers, men, are people too. And the truth is that we don't always know how to process. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but sometimes as fathers, we're the one laying down on the ground bleeding out. And you know where we go wrong, fathers? We say, I'm good. I'm all right. Nah, I got this. It's just me and God. <laughs> and we're wrong. We need help. And today I want to put a question out there. Who will be a neighbor to fathers. Let me make it a little bit more real and personal. Will you be a neighbor to a father? Will you look beyond the, the, the aura of strength or, or weakness or mistakes? And will you see a father for who he is, someone that was created by God to lead, to help, to support, to provide, to bring safety, and just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, they've dropped the ball. 
Well, before you look at, you think about another man and you go, yeah, yeah, that's a deadbeat dad. Let me say this to you. The only reason why he's dead is because nobody brought him life. And he's not a deadbeat. If he's still got breath of life, then he's still got purpose. And there's still room for redemption. Come on and love a father today. Come on and render some support to fathers today. And so one day Jesus was walking towards a massive crowd and his disciples happened to be in the middle of this crowd. And he noticed that there was an argument that a bunch of people were arguing with the disciples from all sides. And Jesus, as he approaches this crowd, he says, hey, what's what's going on? What's this all about? And a particular man steps out of the crowd and he says to Jesus, I brought my son who suffers from seizures and demon possession to your disciples, but they could not deliver him. They couldn't help him. And so he begins to beg Jesus to deliver his son. And when the boy was brought to Jesus, he began to foam at the mouth. And the demon, the scripture says, thrashed him into the ground of convulsions. And I want us to see what happened next. I want us to see the response of Jesus to this father. And let's consider what it teaches us about being neighbors to the countless fathers among us. Let's see what it enlightens us to so that we can rise to be like the Good Samaritan and render a helping hand to. And so in Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 21, it says that Jesus asked the boy's father. He did what? He did what? He asked the boy's father. How long has he been like this? And from childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, I want you to imagine the plea of this father in this moment. I want you to connect with the hurt that this father is holding to because he's seeing his son going through this for years. And he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Now watch this. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But watch this. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Let's dig into this. This man came seeking Jesus in sheer desperation. He is desperate. My baby, my son, my boy is hurting, and he's feeling helpless and hopeless because he's tried everything. He's come to people whom he thought could do something about it. He's probably feeling guilty. He's probably beating himself up. He's probably blaming himself maybe. And in pure brokenness, he comes to Jesus. He comes to the disciples, and he says, please help me. Help me. This guy is suffering. 
because from a young age his son has been suffering. Their home was probably riddled by fear. And as I already stated, this father most likely felt helpless. And the fact that Jesus had to tell him that nothing was impossible with God and to only believe gives us insight into the depth of his hurt and hopelessness, that which plagued him. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Jesus says to him, only believe. All things are possible with God. Only believe. And here's what Jesus was actually identifying. The issue wasn't the issue. The issue was what was going on in his heart. It was his hurt. It was his helplessness. It was his hopelessness. It was probably the insecurity that he wrestled with. Because maybe he just didn't feel like enough of a man to do something for his own son. And in this moment, Jesus identifies what's going on. And this man responds, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. See, here's what was going on here. He believed in Jesus. But you see, this situation has been going on for a long, long time. Such a long time. It's been going on for years, day after day, month after month, year after year. In moments of happiness, all of a sudden everything goes sour because this continues to happen. It is tormenting. It's weighing down on my heart. It's destroying my marriage, destroying my home, destroying my faith. And Jesus, I believe in you, but you see, this situation, I'm struggling to believe. Because it's all I've seen. And what I love about this moment is that Jesus does not walk away from him. Jesus does not do like some religious people in church. Well, you better watch your confession of faith. Your confession of faith. Because by your confession of faith, you're going to be held accountable Listen, this man confessed his disbelief in this moment, and Jesus embraced him. Jesus isn't moved by unbelief. He's not dissuaded. He's not convinced otherwise. This man believed in Jesus. And though he struggled, Jesus did not walk away from him. Jesus did not give up on him despite his disbelief. And Jesus did not look down on him because he was struggling. Dad, no matter what you're going through, God sees you, God loves you, God believes in you, and he has not given up on you. He sees you in the midnight hour when you cry your tears. He knows your deep hurts. He knows the laments in your heart. He understands the, con the condemnation that you inflict upon yourself, and yet he loves you there, and he meets you there. He has not walked away from you. He's with you always. And so what we see is that instead of walking away from him, Jesus helps him. He not only brought healing to his son, he brought healing to his home. Why? Why? Because he loved them.
he stopped what he was doing for him, just as a Samaritan would. Friends, in this holy moment where heaven touches earth and we encounter God through his word, what is God speaking to you? What is he bringing to the forefront of your understanding? What is he telling you about your father? What is he telling you about your husband? What is he telling you about your fellow neighbor? What is he telling you about that single dad? What is he telling you about that father who won't even claim the title of father because they've dropped the ball one too many times or so they think? What is Jesus saying to you and I right now in this moment? And I would say that I'd propose to you a couple of things today. I'm going to propose to you three simple things that I believe Jesus would be saying to us that we see by way of his example. Something that will help fathers begin this process of healing. And the first thing I think he would say to us is ask the right question. Ask the right question. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he asked what was going on. Now, that's not the question we're referring to. That was the first question. The first question was, what's going on? What's happening here? He's seeking clarity for context. He's trying to understand, why are you arguing with the disciples? What's all this chaos about? And though he received context, an answer that gave him an understanding for the moment, what I love about this is that Jesus did not stop there. Because the scripture tells us that he asked a second question. A question that probed deeper and brought clarity into the condition of this man's heart and how it was affecting his life. He asked him, how long has this been going on? He went a step further. You see, the right question to ask fathers is never, how are you doing? Let me tell you why. Because we know how to fake the funk. And we say, I'm good. Now, fathers, I know some of you, you, you cutting eyes at me right now. You're like, come on, man, you're not supposed to be ratting us out, man. <laughs> Fellas, I love you. But I love you enough to be transparent about my own weaknesses. And to tell you that, I do it too. I'm good. I got this. See, that's not the right question. See, the right question is the one that communicates care and demonstrates a willingness to listen. To listen. Think about it. It would appear, just based from this moment, that Jesus had all the information he needed. He knew it was demonic oppression. He knew it. He knew that he could fix it. But instead of taking matters into his own hand, instead of sidestepping this dad, what he did was he took this man into his hands by embracing him with a question that allowed him to express what was really pressing upon his heart. Listen to what Proverbs 20 verse 5 tells us about this. It says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. What's really going on is deep in the heart. 
but watch this, but one who has insight draws them out. That word insight there is knowledge. That word insight there in the original Hebrew language denotes a person that goes deep for the sake of understanding. Let me tell you what I mean by that. It's not enough to say, you good? Yeah, I'm good. See, it requires something else. What's weighing heavy on your heart? What keeps you up at night? What's the weight that you continue to carry that you struggle to get over? How can I help you? No strings attached. It's a question that communicates not just care, but a willingness to listen. And when we don't want to speak, it's also the person who communicates, it's okay. I'm still here. And if you want to talk, I'm here. And if not, that's okay too. I love you regardless. See, it's the right question. It's the next question. It's the best question. See, you never know what a father's going through. You just never know what a father's going through. I can tell you of a weight that I've carried over the years, and I've allowed to come to the surface. I've had some in-depth conversations with my wife about this, and I know that some of us, we struggle with this same, this same statement too. It's all on me. It's all on me. If I don't do this, it won't get done. If I don't figure this out, it won't happen. If I don't step up in this way, it, everything's going to crumble. If I, if I, if I, if I, if I, and you're asking, you're thinking the wrong things, fellas, because while you're thinking about what you and I and us as men have to do, if all you focus on is I, you exclude who? We exclude God. And I had to get real honest about that statement and recognize that I was applying pressure upon myself that was limiting me from being real with my wife, from being real with many of you, from being honest about where I'm at on this journey, and from doing the most important thing, saying, Please help me. And I will tell you that we need people as fathers. We need people that will ask the right question without judgment, without condemnation. We need people that will not just look at the situation and say, I don't understand why you would do this, or I don't understand what's going on here. Instead, ask, what's in your heart? What do you need? How can I help you? See, it's the right question. The second thing that I think we can see from the example of Jesus with his father, and even from the parable of the Good Samaritan, is that we must come alongside him. We must come alongside 
fathers. We must come alongside fathers. See, like the father in this passage, all fathers and men are fixers by nature. We have this tendency that says, I got it, I'll do it. We fight and we fret to get results, and when we don't, we grow frustrated, we grow anxious within. And because this is our tendency, friends, we sometimes miss the answers that God has already provided and the people that he has equipped to help us find them. You see, though Jesus had the answer to the problem, he didn't get ahead of this man. He didn't. He actually paused. He included him by allowing him to share his thoughts. He listened to his reasoning. He listened to his doubts and his fears, and he did not put him down despite his erroneous beliefs. In other words, like the Samaritan on the donkey, Jesus left his exalted position so that he could connect with a hurting father and help him process in this difficult moment. A couple of years ago, I got a call that I never thought I would get. It's four in the morning. And you got to understand something about me. I sleep like a rock. When I'm out, I am out. And this is before the time when I was getting up to go early, you know, out to work out, whatever. And so I'm sleeping, and all of a sudden I feel my wife just jerk me, like shock me. Your phone was ringing. Your phone keeps ringing. I pick up my phone, and I look, and I see that I have a couple of messages from my sister who's in Florida. This is for context, which you may not know is that for 11 years prior to this moment, we had a frayed relationship. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of guilt, accusations, things they, you know, she, she and other people held against me because of things that I did when I was younger, bridges that I burnt. And so it wasn't the best of situations. Now, I was serving Jesus, but it was a, a, a pain point in my life, a pressure point. So this morning, I look at the phone. My sister's called a few times, and I see that I have a voicemail, and I pick up the phone. I, 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 I play the voicemail, and all it is, it says, yo, call me. I need you. I call my sister back, and the first thing that comes out of her mouth is, Junior's dead. Her only son, my oldest nephew, is dead. And you got to understand what's going on in this moment. She walked into the room. She finds my nephew dead, stiff, from an overdose. And the first thing she did was call me. And so I called her and I go, no, 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 no. Please don't tell me this. No, 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 this can't be. And in this moment, my sister, in her deep hurt, struggling, she says to me, you were never there for him. All these years. And I'm going to tell you honestly, in that moment, that cut so, so deep. So deep. Deep because there was a level of truth to that. There was some truth to that. And in this moment, while this is happening, I, I, I'm going to just tell you honestly, within, I collapsed, man. It's like I felt like 
inept. I felt like the worst man in the world because when my nephew was younger, I was the only father figure he had. I felt like a failure, and I was just really struggling. And in the midst of all this, my wife is sitting there, and she's watching this. And she simply comes, and she gives me a hug, and she holds me, and she begins to encourage me. And I'm telling you that in that moment, I couldn't necessarily receive it because the pain was real. But in that moment, all my wife did was come alongside me and listen and connect and support and pray and help and do anything and everything that was necessary so that I could have the confidence to face my family, to go to Florida, and to bury my nephew. And can I tell you that the love, the understanding, the compassion, the care, the tenderness, both spoken and unspoken, the support, and not just of my wife and my kids, It, it, it did something that gave me the boldness to go over there and face them and do something that I, I didn't know how to do because of all the drama over the years, and it was to love them. Can I tell you what that did for me? Can I tell you what that did to my family, my sisters and me? Today, we have true bonds God has restored those relationships. There's healing taking place. And can I tell you that as fathers, I know sometimes you may have a word in season. <laughs> Let me tell you how to fix it. Let me tell you what you need to do. Let me preach to you what the word says. Sometimes all we can do, all we should do is just come alongside and support. It is ministry. It is a good Samaritan coming alongside a fallen father, dying, hurting, struggling, and supplying him life. We need that. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let's leave that scripture up for a moment. I need to clarify something here. That word sin there, that word sin there, on very few occasions in the Bible, it actually alludes to sinful actions that are uh, willfully done, in disobedience to God. The word sin here in the original language is what they used to allude to as a side slip. It's a lapse or a deviation that is completely unintentional. You know, as fathers, sometimes we mean good, but we side slip. 
We all do it. And watch what the Bible says here. It says, confess your side slip to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. One of the most powerful and effective prayers are those when we come alongside others in their hurt and fallen state. And we just support. Because that's the prayer. That's the act that brings healing. We need healing. And we can't heal alone. We need your help. We need your help. The last point that I want to leave you with here that I feel we have by way of example from the Lord Jesus with this is that we must lift him up. We must lift fathers up. You know, when Jesus lifted this boy up to his feet in his deliverance, he also lifted this man up through his intervention. He also lifted a home up. He possibly lifted a marriage up. And he most certainly contributed to the lifting of a community. And one of the best ways to lift up a man, to lift up a father, is to acknowledge him. It's to acknowledge him. It's to acknowledge him. I want you to consider that Jesus did not overlook this man. He did not belittle this father for his efforts to see his son healed and whole, the things that he did on his own in his own strength. No, Jesus acknowledged him by taking interest in his story and the steps he took to help his son be made well. You know, there's a great mystery revealed in the scriptures that many people miss that tell us about the makeup of men. Ephesians 5, within the context of marriage, talks about the needs of a husband, but it's also the needs of men, of fathers. And it's interesting, but it commands the woman to honor the husband, to respect the husband, and it commands the wife to love the husband. And why would the scriptures clearly denote that to us? Because you see, women, by nature, you, you need love. The Bible says that we are to live with you with understanding. That which a tree to like the vessel that requires care, express care. That we're to uplift you. That we're to wash you with our actions, which is equivalent to the water of the word. But when it talks about the husband, when it talks about the man, when it talks about the father, it specifically talks about respect and honor. And I'm going to tell you why it, it, it states that. Because what men need, what fathers need, is to be acknowledged for who they are. Can I tell you what fills our hearts most? Just to simply hear. I see your sacrifices, man. I know it's a tough time. I know you're tired, man. But thank you for all you're doing, man, for your family. Thank you for what you're doing for your children. 
Thank you for stepping up for your home. Thank you for caring, not just for today, man, but thinking about tomorrow. Thank you for going the extra mile. Thank you for loving sacrificially. Thank you for showing up, even when you don't want to. Fathers, I want to ask you to rise today. Fathers in this house, rise. Because you are worthy of double honor. You are worthy to be acknowledged. And men, I know some men, you're sitting down, you may not have kids, but let me tell you, you are a father in the making. There is a father in you. There are people in communities that need you to be a father to them. To be an example to them. And fathers, today we acknowledge you. The worst thing that we can do to fathers is to look at them based upon what they lack. Let me tell you why that's not useful. Because last time I checked, if all you focus on is what people lack, what men lack, you can never add anything to them. See, and, and for you youth, young people who have fathers, man, I know that at times it's hard. You don't agree with them. They may be a little rough. They may be a little strict. They may not always let you do what you want. You may not always get what you think you need, which is actually a want. But let me tell you something. They're trying their very best because they love you. They're laying it down day in and day out because they care. And there's a reason why the Bible says that, children, you are to honor your father and your mother. Let me tell you why. When you honor your father, you build him. You build him. You support the structure of the home. And so today, we honor you, fathers. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.